Welcome to the Skeptical Skeptics Podcast. I'm your host, RJ Metzger. And I'm Rachel Metzger. And we're the Skeptical Skeptics. And this is a very special episode. As episode number 10, it is a special. So we're going to be talking about one topic the whole time, which is Area 51. And it's special, in case you couldn't tell. It's a special. It's a special special about some special stuff. Very special. Special. So for our weird fact of the week, we are going to be talking about Area 51, although there's... Many, many weird facts. One of them is that there are carpool depots around Vegas where Area 51 employees drop their cars off and ride in unmarked buses to McCarran Airport, where they are in a special section of the airport and ride unmarked planes to work. And these planes call signs are Janet, and I have seen them because I grew up in Las Vegas, and they're a little white airplane with like a red stripe on the side and have no like you know, United Airlines or anything like that, like no markings at all. Yeah. So if you go to McCarran Airport and you see like a little sectioned off area with little private airplanes that have no markings on them, that's Area 51 airplanes. Yep. And feel free to look up any pictures of them and we will post them. So anyway, um, like I said, we're talking about Area 51 and hopefully we cover pretty much everything. I learned a lot while researching for this um, and hopefully, you know, we answer most of your questions. But as always, we're open to feedback. So reach out to us on Facebook, Twitter or, you know, via review, anything like that. Um, and if you have any questions or anything you want to add to this to the discussion, um, you know, post it in there. We'll talk about it next episode. Maybe first thing we're going to start with is Area 51's official story which is that in the early 50s um, and like at the you know very beginnings of what would become the Cold War, um, we were flying constant low uh, altitude recon missions where there was a nonstop fear of the airplanes getting shot down and discovered. So there was a need for high altitude planes and Project Aquatone was started, um, which ended up being the whole driving force behind Area 51. So they needed a test facility that wouldn't be discovered by civilians or spies. And they chose a salt flat named Groom Lake. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of people weren't sure why they called it Area 51, but a prevailing thought is that it was actually one of the sections from the nearby nuclear test facilities, which were uh, sectioned off into other areas, Area 1 through 50. So Area 51 just happened to make sense. And the area was also a WW2 aerial gunnery range during the world war okay so now let's talk about where the aliens came in to area 51 the whole alien aspect started because of a plane called the u2 that they started to do test flights on um in the 50s most commercial planes were flying at about 10 to twenty thousand feet military mostly topped out about 40 and but the u2 was flying at about 60 which obviously freaked people out because that's much higher than most planes and at 60,000 feet it's just a tiny little shiny object you can't really tell what it looks like or anything like that um so it freaked people out so the government tried to make some kind of cover up for this or like reason because they didn't want people to know because no one was supposed to know about the planes themselves so they called it high altitude weather research or a natural phenomena to cover up the fact that they were practicing with these planes yeah so If you guys look up pictures of the U-2, it's like, I mean, for the time, incredibly futuristic looking. And it was uh, unpainted. It was super shiny, like a really pretty jet. And 
beyond what anybody thought was possible. So naturally, the UFO, which it really was a legitimate unidentified flying object, that's how that really gained some traction. So I just love the fact that the government thought they could just tell people like, hey, we saw people like, hey, we saw this like weird, shiny thing in the sky. What is this? And the government's like, oh, it's just natural phenomena. Yeah. Like what? What is natural phenomena? Like a bird? Yeah. A giant, shiny bird? Right. Like, there, there's a dragonite about? in the sky <laughs> and that's what you saw. Oh, crap. I don't know if dragonite flies. But anyway. Yeah. I mean, it just makes no sense. Like what, what would it even well, but be? Also, it's like. You think first people who are trying to cover something up because obviously Come up here, with something better. Yeah, we know they're trying the the net, the high altitude weather research. That's a you know, that's yeah. a pretty good one. But just natural phenomena. Well, like, so so we're we'll, going to throw we'll that do, out there and the people will just take it. We'll do a Roswell episode at some point. But like at least the weather balloon thing kind of made sense. Like this is just stupid. Yeah. Natural phenomena. Um, very interesting. But so to really get to Area 51's like end of its actual secrecy um the government never even publicly acknowledged it until 2013 when a freedom of information act uh document got loose and finally acknowledged that it was an actual uh base so we've kind of transitioned lately especially once that was confirmed but even in my time like um you know in the 90s and 2000s like it was pretty much well like established everybody knew what it was yeah that it was there and that it was real just a lot of people where the big hard line was is okay not aliens it's just where spy planes are being tested right so area 51 had um the sr-71 the u2 the a12 and the tacit blue which is like the dumbest dopiest looking (laughs) plane ever um all tested there like Um, if there was a plane that was gonna have to sit by itself at lunch it's that one yeah exactly (laughs) <laughs> it's exactly what it looks like. It's like the Ralph Wiggum of airplanes. Oh, sad. It's true, though. But um, anyway, so Area 51 really was a top secret thing with flying things. Which makes you kind of wonder if the whole point of this back then was be- was to hide spy planes because of the Cold War, right? The worry of the Russians and the worry of civilians. Like, why would it still be a secret all the way in 2013? I'm not even just saying the alien aspect. I'm also talking about like other crazy stuff they could be working on. Yeah. So that's actually a really good. And and one of the things that keeps the whole Area 51 thing fueled, right, is like all this speculation started in the 50s, where even the most crazy thing we could do is something that I mean, commercial airliners go up to 40,000 now, you know, right. and then like. We'll talk about the timeline um, and, you know, go into that a little bit. But I mean, one of the main things that kept it alive and well was the thought of, well, what are they working on now? You know, right. Because there was there was a lot of that speculation through the Cold War. And of course, we were doing a lot of crazy stuff as a country. But what have they been up to for the last 20, 30 years? I mean, they like like you said, and like we talked about, they only acknowledged its existence in 2013. Because they had to, which means freedom of information come out. We probably they probably still wouldn't have acknowledged. Well, it. not only that, but like there's a lot of uh, momentum in the conspiracy theory world that like there's new Area 51s because, of course, there would be. Right. Although and we'll right. talk about the benefits to Area 51. But yeah, now that like everybody knows about Area 51, they would be a little more cautious about what's over there. But at the same time, it's actually an incredible place to hide crazy stuff, which we'll talk about. So. In regards to the Freedom of Information Act uh, and stuff like that, there was some declassified information recently about it um and most some of it was shared in an article from a former employee named james noce or nose n-o-c-e whatever i like to believe it's noise noise all right james noise <laughs> um 
He worked in security for Area 51 with a fairly mundane job. So it was pretty routine. He was just checking for weapons, cameras, checking clearances for test flights and stuff like that. Um, And after being sworn to secrecy for 47 years, uh, he finally told was able to tell what it was like on base and Sorry, no aliens. So of course he says that. Yeah, of course he says that. But um, I mean, it's all your basic, you know, 1950s through 80s spy stuff. He was paid in cash um, and signed documents using a fake name. It was a CIA black project and he was aware of that. There was no paperwork. Uh, Anytime he did have to receive a check or his colleagues received a check, it was from Pan American World Airways, um, which has nothing to do with the military. Uh, he recalls a time that an A-12, which was another uh, spy plane, crashed in or near Wendover, Utah, and a sheriff and a family of tourists that were driving in the area witnessed the event and took pictures. And so him and another uh, him and a crew confiscated the pictures and paid twenty five thousand dollars a piece for them to keep quiet. And they threatened them, saying, look, we're going to be nice by giving you the money. But if you mess this up. Uh, There will be dire consequences. And he also stated that this was common practice at the time. So naturally, if you have a location where weird stuff is happening, weird objects are flying and a bunch of guys are running around with huge sums of cash, just paying people off. A lot of conspiracy theories are going to be born. And to be honest, they should. Understandably. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Because if they're paying people off for this, what else are they paying people off for? Right. So in regards to this being common practice, he also recalled a time that, um, A-12 parts were being delivered on a truck and a bus accidentally struck one of the trailers. And so they were immediately authorized to just pay the bus off $5,000 so that nothing would be recorded in insurance and stuff like that. So one of the thoughts uh, or one of his thoughts that he shared in the article uh, where he was providing quotes was that he thinks the government likes the alien stories because it helps cover up the actual like test planes and stuff like that. Which is a super interesting idea that the government would literally say like, you know what, maybe let's perpetuate this alien idea if it means it gets them away from looking at all the other crazy stuff we're doing. Exactly. And I think that's one of the things where like and we we finally for the first time didn't explain what being a skeptical skeptic was at the beginning of the at the beginning of the podcast. But I think the thing is, at the end of the day, I do think this is one of the main parts where it falls somewhere in between. Is there something to all the secrecy and the craziness of it? Yes. But do they also have an official story that they want perpetuated or hidden? Also, yes. Like, I do right. think the truth really does lie in the middle and manipulating that is what the government does. That's like their whole job. I was just thinking that like it's that's a whole nother aspect to this. The conspiracy theory of Area 51 is. Yes, there is the fantastic, really cool, awesome idea of aliens and of us having alien ships and and having any kind of contact with them. But there's also the crazy even, I don't know, not, I wouldn't say more intense, but equally as intense idea that like, this is how much power the government holds over us with all of this manipulation. Like, what if they're using this or this or this? Like, what if there's all these layers of things that we don't see that they're using to keep us away from whatever else they're doing? Well, and that's the thing is, yeah, exactly. How many layers is it, right? Like the fact that they can finally talk about these spy planes and then the rest of us go, oh, well, it makes sense they were hiding stuff, but really it's because aliens, right? Or and then maybe there's then, way the bigger versa, stuff right. that they're hiding. Exactly. So it's just the, the layers exist. It's where they terminate and what their purpose is. That's the interesting part. So um, he likened the whole alien thing to 
and this is one of my favorite stories we're going to go over, when a pilot put on a gorilla suit and mask and flew one of his test planes near a private airplane upside down uh, because on a test flight, like this airplane got a little too close. And so he was like flying erratically. So he went back to the reporters and said that he found a plane flying without a propeller, which wasn't normal at the time, and it was piloted by a monkey. So the reporters and everyone around town kind of laughed him out of there. But James, the guy in this article, is like, no, that actually happened. A guy did it on purpose to discredit other pilots in the area and keep them silent because they didn't want to become the next guy who got laughed out of town. The poor guy. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine like for the rest of his life, he's like, I swear. Well, him and I his family, this. him and his family are probably reading this article like, oh, my gosh, we've been so mean to him. I hate all of you. Right. He probably just saw Planet of the Apes. Not too recent. <laughs> like, <laughs> poor guy. That poor dude. Anyway, so. Um, a couple other cool details that he shared um, was that he was paid a thousand bucks a month, which is about seventy two hundred dollars a day or like an eighty four thousand dollars salary a day. So not shabby. Um, and like his favorite part of living in Area 51 was the private chefs, because I guess they would bring people in from Las Vegas and they would fly in lobster from Maine on some of the jets. And these private chefs would cook you a, a steak or lobster whenever you wanted. So he said that was his favorite perk of living on Area 51. That would be mine, too. Which uh, another fun fact of Area 51, it was such a horrible place to live. Obviously, it's just in a barren desert. Um, so a lot of the officers like nicknamed the living area Paradise Lake. Um, so that their off- the officers' wives wouldn't immediately get mad when they heard they were moving to Paradise Lake. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. That kind of ends the official story of Area 51 because they really haven't come out with a lot of what happened there. We know it was test planes. Uh, we know they worked in conjunction with Edwards Air Force Base or was actually uh, run by Edwards Air Force Base, which is in California. But um, one of the main things about Area 51... And that whole restricted area in general, whether it's um, nefarious like aliens or just, you know, spy planes, like one of the main reasons why some crazy stuff happens out there is because of its sheer size. The restricted area in total is forty six hundred eighty seven square miles, which is three times the size of Rhode Island. Oh gosh. So one of the main things that they use out there um, tactics wise is that the fence, because all it is a chain link fence. Now, of course, there's conspiracies that they have sensors and cameras and uh, snipers and stuff like that. But really what it is, is like most people would die trying to walk from the chain link fence to whatever they want to go see. Um, It's I mean, it's huge. So um, and there are tons of YouTube videos and pictures and stuff. And I've known people that that drove out there and there are like these white pickups. They used to be Wranglers. They used to be whatever. Now they're like F-150s that do patrol and they are up at like the top of the hill and they're looking for movement. So, I mean, obviously the place is going to be actively patrolled. um, And that's yeah, I mean, that's just a fact. So, of course, it's being, you know, monitored. But one of the main things is you'd have to traipse three Rhode Islands to go find whatever it is you're looking for. So and after with all that security, you're not getting there. No. So another Which thing is really smart on their part. Right. So another thing is um, the land itself is super deadly because of all the nuclear tests that happen in the area as well. So once you got done with your horrible desert traipse, you probably die from cancer. So Good um, times. one of the things that did happen in the area was um, and this was also talked about by some of the people who were allowed to speak later um, was they would obtain like Russian MiGs and Sukhois, which are their fighter pilots, and they would 
fly them with Americans uh, piloting them. And then Americans in our jet planes would try to virtually shoot them down to develop counter tactics against them. Yeah. So now here's the fun part about that. So that's a confirmed activity and they know that they have uh, enemy airplanes and that they were developing tactics. So if we were to find an alien spaceship, where's the first place it would go there? Yeah, exactly. Right. It's like the cool part. Right. So that's the end of the official story, which I just put in quotation marks. Um, now we're going to talk about the fun part, right? The alien part. So we couldn't talk about the aliens without talking about a man named Bob Lazar, which, by the way, is a really fun name to say. Um, he is kind of like the father of aliens at Area 51, right? Like, wouldn't isn't that what you would describe him as? Like, yeah. he is the founder of... Of our conspiracy theories of Area 51. Right. He's like widely called the UFO Messiah. And he does not want to be at all. No. So that's, yeah. The poor, poor guy. <laughs> he wants yeah, nothing to do story. with it. So we have a clip that we're going to play of an interview of him where the first time he decided to go on air and talk about the things he'd seen at Area 51. 1987, when the Air Force sought to renew its stranglehold on the Groom Range, news articles once again mentioned the talk about alien spacecraft. And subsequent articles in national magazines quoted unnamed sources about things of alien origin flying in Nevada, things that would make filmmaker George Lucas drool. Despite the speculation, no one who knew Area 51 from the inside ever talked publicly about the saucer stories. Well, there's several, uh, actually nine uh, flying saucers, flying discs uh, that are out there of extraterrestrial origin. The live interview with the shadowy dentist drew international attention. Portions were broadcast by radio in six European countries and in a nationally televised TV special in Japan. Actually, nine uh, flying saucers, flying discs. Despite numerous inquiries and feelers, Dennis has remained anonymous until now. His real name is Robert Lazar, a young scientist with eclectic interests. The choice of Dennis was an inside joke. He says that's the name of his superior at Groom Lake. It wasn't a joke to Dennis. He called right after and he said, do you have any idea what we're going to do to you now? And I, I said, well, no. And he hung up the phone. Lazar's story is by any standards fantastic. He says he's telling it in order to protect himself. He says he was hired to work at an area called S-4, which is a few miles south of Groom Lake. At S-4, he says, are flying saucers, antimatter reactors, and other working examples of technology. So what you heard from that was a quote-unquote shadowy dentist. So we'll put a link to the video. And what it is, is he was filmed in that classic style where the light's behind him so that his face is silhouetted, and he went by quote-unquote Dennis. Which was supposed to be funny because that was his boss. Dennis was his boss's name. Yep. Dennis did not think it was funny. Exactly. So and here's where we get the first delineation from the Area 51 we just talked about. And here's the interesting part, because actually as a casual conspiracy theorist about Area 51, I didn't know this. But here's where there is actually a break. So Area 51, according to Bob Lazar, is just the test planes and the test pilots and all that that we just talked about. Here is where it breaks into S4. So I have a clip for that as well. Did you witness any disc technology at Area 51? No, there was no, absolutely no ET craft, ET technology, anything like that at Area 51. This is why S4 was made specifically to separate it there. People at Area 51 do not have the clearance. How long were you employed at S4 and when were you hired? 
when was I hired at S4? I guess early 89, and I was probably there only about six months or so uh, on a very infrequent basis. So that's kind of a critical piece that I don't think gets shared enough, like because Area 51 is the one that ran away with like the culture's whole perception of it. And I think this is the part where it reignites the validity of an Area 51, right? Because, I mean, it sounds just like the government to do this, right? Make At, this huge area that's like, ooh, what's this? And then this tiny small one next to it that's like, this is actually where we're doing some sketchy stuff. Right, and then to do it in levels, right? So he goes on later to claim that if you had clearance to Area 51, that didn't mean you had clearance to S4. And if you had clearance to S4, that didn't mean you had clearance to every part of S4, right? Which is, again, very governmental. Well, because you highly, I highly doubt they were going <clears> to <throat> just open this one big piece of land and say, everyone who works here can see all of the stuff we're doing. Right. That's not how they're going to do it. It's going to be very specific people who get to see very specific things and don't see other things. And so that each person only has a certain amount of knowledge because they don't want everyone to have all of the knowledge. And that's what uh, with... Bob Lazar, like that's what really validated some of his claims, because there's a lot of detracting to him. And we'll talk about that. Um, But one of the things about it is that why would he know about Groom Lake in general? Right. Because it wasn't confirmed at the time. So this interview was in 1989. um, So a long time ago before I was born um, and like nothing was confirmed. So he knew about the Groom Lake facility. Then he also knew about this S4, which George Knapp, which was the reporter that uh, initially reached out to him as shadowy Dennis and eventually got him to come out as himself, Bob Lazar. Um, Greg Knapp actually got confirmation that S4 really was a subsite with, quote unquote, classified projects. So Papoose Lake and Groom Lake were both relative unknowns in regards to Area 51's actual locations, and these were later confirmed as their locations. So if he didn't work there, how would he know this is the big question. Right. Anyway, so as you heard from that clip, he claimed he worked on nine UFO flying disks um, that he first considered were just military projects. And he actually thought it was kind of an aha moment, like, oh, this is where the whole flying saucer thing came from, was the U.S. military has been working on this. That makes a lot of sense, right? Um. That was until he actually got his way into one of them and found out that all the proportions for everything, like from a pilot perspective, were for much smaller beings. Um, And whenever he learned that his job was to reverse engineer um, the craft and whenever he saw one fly silently, um, the crafts were about 52 feet in diameter. So very large. um, And he gets into the tech behind them. But yeah, that was his initial claim was he thought it was just an experimental craft for the u.s and then it turns out that it was from an extraterrestrial origin as he says can you imagine that moment where you're like in this aircraft right and you're like messing with stuff and you're trying to like see what they want you to do and you look at this chair and you're like wow that's a real tiny little chair real dinky people like, yeah. wait are we about to spend send babies to like fly around in these things because i honestly if that was me I would say babies before I would say aliens. Of course. Yeah. (laughs) I would be like, oh, little tiny baby pilots. And here's where his story kind of doesn't make sense to me. So I don't know why he would think that whenever in separate. Actually, I think in the same interview, he said that he was actually set into um, he was put into a room with 122 briefing documents and uh, some of them having to do with alien autopsies that had occurred and some of the. 
other stuff um, going on in the base, quote unquote. But that doesn't fly with a couple things that he said. One, why would he go in there thinking it was, you know, one of our craft? Right. Two, one of his main reasons for whistleblowing was he was saying that um, the government was too siloed. Right. So the thing that Rachel was just talking about as far as they wouldn't let one person know everything um, that also doesn't let you be a very good or effective scientist. Right. Like, yeah. um, and that's the main you thing. You need all the information in order to learn new things and make right. new things. And you need more people. So he said that um, the totality of the number of people that worked in S4 were 22 people. He was like, this is not enough to reverse engineer this or make any use of it. This is why you guys aren't going anywhere. And then he said, this is part of why he whistle blew was to get, the whole world involved on this uh, technology so that we could actually get some use out of it. And he knew 22 people just would never, ever get anything from it. So part of what um, Bob Lazar had to whistleblow for was that he was worried about his life. Right. So then that begs the question, well, why was he worried about his life in the first place prior to whistleblowing? Yeah. Right. Rather than after. So, cause like he claimed I'm in danger. So I'm going public with my story. That way they would not let me disappear. Cause if the government makes me disappear, that would verify everything I was saying. Well, everyone would know. Exactly. So he whistle blew because he was worried about his life. Um, so there's a series of events that actually led up to why he was already worried for his life. The first one being his employment in general. So he claims that there were, a series of uh, events that led to a bunch of the scientists being killed. Um, and that was while they were working on the reactor um, that fueled one of these ships, one of the scientists had the bright idea to break the reactor open, which I don't think would ever happen. <laughs> like that just doesn't make any sense. But anyway, which resulted in a, an explosion the size of a small tactical nuclear bomb. Right. Um, and this was then passed off because the area was a nuclear test site as an unannounced nuclear explosion. Yeah, right. No one's going to pay attention to that. So then he claims that's what led to the jobs being opened that he was then recruited for. He also claims that prior to working for Area 51 or S4, rather, he was a scientist at Los Alamos and that he graduated from Caltech for his undergrad and then MIT for his master's. And so after working for Los Alamos, he started working for Area 51. Now, what happened was because he was backfilling these people who ha had been exploded for whatever reason, um, they wanted him to get to work quickly. Right. And so they actually for forewent the background check process and let him start his employment while the background check was occurring. So he started work and apparently his wife was like freaking out about why he would just disappear for days, not be able to talk about what he was doing and just couldn't generally handle the secrecy behind this. So like he would leave work and not return for a few days. Um, you combine this with the fact that he um, claimed that he knew when the test flights were for the saucer. So he brought some friends, including a UFOologist named John Lear um, to go witness a test flight. Um, and videotape it. And he was actually he did that three times. And on one of those occasions was caught and interrogated with like a gun to his head saying, hey, when we told you not to talk about any of this, we didn't mean talk about everything. Um, yeah, not a smart move, Lazar. Right. And so then he started to be like, OK, well, I've really screwed the pooch here. 
then he whistle blew. Right. So that's really what led to him feeling like his life was already at risk. And then to whistle blow. Doesn't this kind of sound like like a, the villain part of a bad movie? Like he now works for the villain corporation because you just show up for this job and you're like, oh, this is a cool job. I'm like, why am I getting this job? And it's like, oh, because everyone before you like exploded. Right. And it's like, oh, why did he explode? Well, doing the job you're going to do. He exploded. And so it's like, so I could explode. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And you can't tell anyone about it. You can't talk about it. Exactly. And then this dumb guy's like, right, right, right. People died. So it's super secret. You know what I should do? I should bring my buddies to come look at these crazy UFOs that I found. Right. This is a good plan. There's a couple things to that. I think the first thing being a lot of people think he brought the people to come witness a test flight as his first step of whistleblowing. I think there's a possibility that he was just a dumbass. That's that's a. That's a very, very distinct possibility. Yeah. So like either which way, I think it fuels it a lot of motivation. it seems to me more like, hey, come look at these lights. Oh, shit. I got caught. Uh, how about I whistleblow so everybody knows who I am and right. no one can kill me. Exactly. So, which again, also not your brightest move, buddy. But not his worst move. He's alive. True. But we're about to talk about the life he's lived so far. Yeah. Which, yeah. Not, not super great. So after he whistleblew, a lot of Lazar's records in his life just started to disappear like where he went to school the jobs he'd had before all of that information was just gone so uh, he got discredited because of it but the funny part about that is i mean how would he have these jobs how are you getting hired at these places if you don't if you hadn't gone to these schools that you said you went to right so that's really where it's kind of a house of cards right it's and it's also chicken before the egg so if you really do believe he's a crackpot then That means he didn't go to Caltech, didn't go to MIT, didn't work at Los Alamos and then had no connection to Area 51. So when he whistle blew, he just made all that up where there are some details that are very shocking as far as how he would know them if that weren't the case. Right. Because they also they start. They also took him off all their records. Yeah, they said there were he, no he records wasn't of him. Of ever yeah, they working. never said he was. Well, I mean, they never at this oh, point. Yeah, they, they wouldn't say anything. Yeah, at this point, they didn't acknowledge the existence of Area 51. So, so it was really easy to discredit him because it's like he's crazy. This isn't even a place. Yeah, this is a dude who is uneducated, has no classified jobs and no classified background, who's just claiming that he did all these things. So that there's that. And then so you can take that one of two two ways, right? The two extremes. You either believe that. You believe him and the government erased everything or you believe he is a crackpot and he really doesn't know any of this. But that raises two questions. One, if the government did erase everything, then why is it that no one from MIT or Caltech can step up for him? Right. Maybe they don't want to. Maybe they've been paid not to. Right. So the whole that's why I wanted to go over the twenty five thousand dollar thing first. That's twenty five thousand dollars in 1950s money. If it's someone, a lot of money to pay someone off three people. No, not three people. Sorry. Um, I don't know how many people. A, yeah. a group of people. Right. And just it, like just to easily like here's twenty five thousand dollars for each of you. Yeah. No biggie. So don't say anything. Here's the thing that like. And we've seen how blown up these budgets are. Right. I mean, you could easily, easily afford. And then my other thing being. If I won heard not to talk about someone I went to college with, like me, myself, literally don't talk about this guy. Done. You pay me off to do it. Double done. And then you threaten me on top of that. Triple done. Oh, I'm not talking about this I guy. I think especially when it comes to like teachers, like college educators, deans and stuff like that, you threaten enough things and you're from the a government agency. I think most people 
would shut up real quick. Well, I think maybe one of the first things to do is just, do you even remember this guy? And a lot of people would be like, no. So Right, because you're college. Are you kidding? Half my classes had over 50 to 100 people in them. Right. But let's swing back the other direction. So here's why I personally think his education is crap, right? Because I'm, I'm in the middle. I'm like true skeptical skeptic about this, and I'll explain why. But I think his college education thing is, is total horse shit because um, he has... Uh, not only does he personally not have any degrees, all the commencements and stuff from that time don't have him in it. Like personal records that other people have stepped forward with don't have him in it. Um, and he couldn't name any professors from MIT. Like the only professor he did name didn't even teach there. He taught at a community college. Um, so he does have some corroborating witnesses saying they dropped him off at the library. They dropped him off at class. Like he would have had to be a pretty de- a devout hoaxer to do these things. Although I think that that actually goes into a couple things to me and why I fall in between. I don't see anyone else saying this. So this is totally just a me original, but I think this could have been a dude who never actually got into anything because he like graduated bottom third of his class. It turns out in mm-hmm. high school. Yeah. But wanted to be a physicist. So he probably like snuck into some classes, went to the library, read some books. Cause I mean, the dude knows some things about physics, but other real physicists say like, no, he's a total hack. Like he doesn't actually use the terms that we would use. Um, his science is baloney. Like, um, and so to me, it does sound like a guy. Just baloney. Right. Um, there, it sounds like a guy who went to campus to these couple places because you can go and sit in knowledge of many many things. That's exactly right. And so I do think it's somewhere in between. I do think that he went to Caltech, not as a student, but physically went there. That's really interesting to think about because. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting to think about. I don't know. I mean, you could pay people off like the government really could do all this. That's fine, but it doesn't it doesn't necessarily explain everything. It also doesn't explain the plus side of things, right? So the, the thing about uh, Bob Lazar is that he did have a particle accelerator in his home. Like he did make jet powered. He made a jet powered scooter, a jet powered Honda. And uh, he was in the paper for a bunch of different things. And here's here's the other part that's on his side. When Los Alamos um, claimed that he never worked there, George Knapp, this reporter, found a company directory that had him in it and a paper or a newspaper article that was written about him while he was an employee there and claiming he was quote, a physicist for Los Alamos. So not a janitor and not a contractor. And how would you get that job without some kind of formal education? So that's his big thing. He goes, look, I don't care if you think I can't prove it. Like Los Alamos doesn't recruit a high schooler with no education. Right. They wouldn't. And they really don't. I get that. So, um, and on the flip side too, His personal reason that he has shared as to why he didn't have any of those things was because while employed for Los Alamos, apparently his first wife died um, and he just up and abandoned his apartment and like just left. I mean, he just couldn't bear the thought of going back. So he like restarted like that was everything. His couches, his financial documents, everything. He just said he restarted, which kind of makes sense and also would make him an easy target to make him disappear. Well, can you think about these things you've done in your life? Like there's people who have done things like that, who have just left everything behind. There's people who have been through like um, natural disasters that destroyed a lot of their stuff. And then can you imagine like 10, 15 years later, you went on the news, you announced this crazy thing and then people started discrediting you and you're like, crap. Oh, man, (laughs) I'm screwed. I done messed up. And this isn't, you know, guy like this is in a time way before Facebook. Like, oh, now you couldn't do that. Well, not only that, like, okay, I was literally scrolling through my Facebook, which, by the way, I never go on Facebook. I only have because we started this podcast and like 
I was scrolling through and like there's literally a hundred people on there. I have no idea who they are. And I've never just added random people on Facebook. Like at one point I considered these people my friends. I literally and I have a good memory. I can't remember these people. Well, no, I literally have pictures of myself where I was tagged by our college in that picture. Yeah. So like that's what happens with Facebook. Like you you can't not. Yeah, like you, you can't escape. And and your with past. and with Instagram and with digital copies of everything because back then there wasn't digital copies of where you went to college not when he was in college well my point that i was getting at was even with all this digital tracking there were people that if the government walked up to me and said do you remember this person i'd be like no oh yeah no and, I, you and, know, and also and like, names are you kidding me right and so like, in circumstances they'd be like well we have proof that you were with this person on this date and i'm like yeah but i don't remember that you know so like also can much you imagine less, if someone walked up to you and were like Hey, what were you doing in 2011 on November 7th? Right. I'd be or, like, well, I don't know what I was doing last week. Did you graduate with this guy? Because that would be the question. I'd be like, I have no idea, right? I don't know who I graduated with. So there's a lot on both sides for him and against him. So something I think, and this again, I think I'm, I don't know. I haven't seen anybody say this, but like, I think he probably got into Los Alamos with a bogus resume. To me, that's what makes the most sense. This could have been a um, catch me if you can thing remember light the, yeah with, what leonardo DiCaprio I forgot where he just like became all these different jobs and everyone was just like well, right okay and so this is in the 1980s right like uh and so i do think a fairly likely scenario um and this is just me like spitballing here but I, to me it just seems like he probably got the los alamos job on a bogus resume and then because he was in los alamos and the dude didn't know a fair amount of physics even if it's not enough that mit would grant uh, a lot of people can't really check you on it you know um and so and and to his credit he has done a lot of good things from the physics perspective so do you remember the push to make hydrogen engines like 10 years ago like everyone was talking like even california now has hydrogen gas stations and stuff mm -hmm. um he actually made a kit to convert your car that you already own to a hydrogen engine and then how to make your own hydrogen fuel as well. And he like re blew up in the news separate from the UFO thing for this. Like the dude is a physicist, whether or not he was degreed in one. Right. Yeah. And so I think like he could have just been one of those enterprising people who got in with a bogus resume and then got into area 51 with a bogus resume and only because they needed him quickly. And so then this is where that background check thing comes into play. Right. Right. They didn't do the full background check. And then he was worried. Oh, once the full background check comes in, they're going to realize I'm full of crap. So I might as well. Might as well whistleblow now. Right. So because mm. that's the other part that to me makes a lot of sense because he has said, I wish I never blew the whistle. I wish I got to stick around with this technology. What I think. So in his story, it's the um, the government got rid of all my college degrees, like all this. Right. And then in the government story, it's this dude's a total crackpot. Me, I personally believe is somewhere in the middle. Right, I, there's a middle ground, right? Right. I really do think that he got in with a bogus resume. And then um, once he realized the jig would be up, that's whenever he invited those people to come see the test flights. That's whenever he whistle blew. That's whenever he realized, oh, now not only am I worried about my job security, these guys can actually like kill me. So then he really whistle blew and attached his name to it, inviting all this public scrutiny into his life. That he probably wouldn't have if he weren't, weren't legitimately fearful for his life. Can you imagine the confidence of walking in to a, a job like that and just being like, I'm a physicist. I know what I'm doing. I think one. Well, Terrifying. Well, like, 
Well, with Area 51, not a big deal. No, I think that, no that's what I'm talking about. I'm talking once about... Once he did it with Los Alamos. That's what I'm talking yes, about. Yes. Doing it with Los Alamos. Yeah, I mean... Just walking but, in your first day and just being like... How many people have those stories, though? It's just... It's insane. I know this is a whole different topic that has nothing to do with skeptical skeptics, but I could talk about it for hours. It's insane what you can get away with, with confidence. Oh, if yeah. you walk into a room and pretend you know what the hell you're talking about, people will just trust that. People will just say, oh, you must you must be a pro. Even people who also know what the hell you're talking about and hear you and may at one point, because there's no way his, his fellow colleagues were not at certain points like, what is this guy doing? Right. What is he talking about? But yet it's like, well, I guess he must know. You know, it's like, no, he doesn't know. Right. So anyway, going back to to my theory as far as middle ground. So he started whistleblowing. And the first thing, like we talked about a bunch of times, is um, he knew when the test flights were happening. And Which, so, by the way, goes along with your story of him just not being very smart and not being very professional. That's <laughs> yes. another part yeah. of it, too. Right. Like, That's true. And that was what really honestly made me think about this is what if this isn't a guy who really had better intentions in mind. He just was kind of a jackass, right? So anyway, we have a clip um, and why I thought he was pretty unprofessional. So let me play the clip from one of these test flights that was caught on video. We'll also post a link so you could see the test flight because they do catch the UFO that they're out there to hunt. Like it was almost, and this is one of the things that works in his favor as far as having worked there was that he knew when this would happen and to, you know, to the hour they got it right. So here's the clip. What felt like his bursting point, he took Huff and a few others to the edge of the Groom Mountains to see the flights for themselves. A total of five witnesses on two consecutive weeks managed to dodge security patrols long enough to see the strange glowing object lift above the mountain. Uh, it came up above the same mountain. It moved around. It did a step move. It actually went up in the air like this and hovered, then dropped way down. Then it just floated around and cruised around, and then it started coming up the mountain range. This home videotape was recorded during one of the trips to the Groom Mountains. Okay. Good luck. No, what? Did you see that move it did? No, I didn't. It because went like I kept doing... Wow, look how bright it's getting! Look at it now. It's getting bright. Not bright enough for me to get the sun of Here, hold on, right here. Admittedly, the tape proves very little by itself because with the distance and darkness, there are no reference points other than the alleged flying disc. This is John Lear, and today is March 22nd, 1989. We're standing just about uh, eight miles due east of Groom Lake, Nevada, the super government uh, secret test site. And just a few minutes ago, we saw one of the government uh, uh, extraterrestrial UFOs fly over there. Uh, we all watched it for about uh, <clears throat> seven or eight minutes. Right here I have my Celestron scope, uh, it's eight uh, inches, and I had, uh, uh, had it focused in for about 15 seconds and saw for myself that in fact it was a disc. <clears throat> We're going to uh, uh, stay here for another couple hours here to see if we can show you folks uh, an actual uh, extraterrestrial flying saucer being uh, flown by the government. So if you just stand by and uh, we'll be looking over that mountain, which is where they are, they also come over here, which is over at Bald Mountain. There's some lights over there which you can't see, but there are a number of trucks. We don't know whether they're looking down here or <clears throat> what they're doing up there, but we managed to get in here. Uh, we're standing on public land. It's uh, completely legal where we are. And if you'd like to uh, come here later in the show, we'll tell you exactly how to get here. Well, you can mention who's with you, John. <laughs> uh, we have Bob Lazar, 
And we have um, Jackie uh, Lazar, Bob's wife, and we have Jean Huff. And this mission was organized tonight uh, by Bob Lazar, who is a, uh, a, uh, a theoretical physicist who works at Groom Light. <laughs> and is also a dead man at this point. <laughs> We're having this on film that he wrote yeah, All right. <laughs> I'm happy. You want your name on there that you're yeah. We're out here with the late Bob Lazar. Okay, so the part that I find most interesting about that clip, or the parts that I find most interesting about that clip are a couple things. One, timeline-wise, so he said that he was hired by Groom Lake and Airy 51. Um at the beginning of 1989, the video clip I just showed you was recorded March 22nd, 1989. So he's like a couple months into the job, right? The other thing is he was almost arrogant in saying you can say who it was who, who you're right, with like why would he actively say tell people who i am well no and that fits two ways one arrogant and stupid two he wants to say who he was to stay alive yeah so again somewhere in the middle i do think he was an arrogant stupid dude who wanted to stay alive because the joke at the end who's probably a dead man at this point right but they're joking about it. they're laughing about it like that's where it shows me he knows he has to, at some point, he'd probably have to make himself visible. But at the same time, I don't think he gets the full ramifications of what he's doing. Right. right. He doesn't fully understand the kind of trouble that he's in. Exactly. And so anyway, later and we'll post a I'll post a link to it because that was the audio part of it. But the visual part of the clip, whenever they do actually catch this UFO, is it's like this bright orb. I mean, it looks like a disc and it's like darting left, right, forward, back. You can clearly see it in the clouds. Um, and they're actively commenting on it. Look, it's right where you said it would be. It's right when you said it would be. And it does move like something that. Which, how would he know that? Unless well, he actually was working there. Right. So that or, part really, you know, whatever. Maybe Even does if it was out. someone else he knew, who cares? Like he something some was there. Form of information. Right. right. And it was moving in a way. And when you see the clip, like you'll see, it's in a way that no, no test plane can move. Right. So anyway, um, so again, back to the timeline. So they're discrediting him at this point once he goes live. So he has the interview that we played where he is the shadowed out, quote unquote, Dennis. And then he claims that Dennis called him and is like, hey, do you know what we're going to do to you? And he's like, no, not really. So then he leaves the program and then comes out showing his face as Bob Lazar. Right. Um, and that's when, you know, again, discredited um, that he can't prove his education, stuff like this. So George Knapp went back and again, he found that proof that um, Bob worked at Los Alamos. So the thing that George Knapp, the reporter, goes back to is, well, he couldn't work for Los Alamos if he didn't have an education. Right. Right. Yeah. Which for people in the pro Bob Lazar camp. Yeah. Makes sense. Now, for the people not in the pro Bob Lazar camp. They do believe that he was just like a contractor. But again, that doesn't explain the newspaper article where they said he was a physicist for Los Alamos. However, if you do have like a catch me if you can scenario on your hands, he could have just charmed his way into that, too. So yeah. although this dude is not very charming, so <laughs> you yeah. guys should look up a video of this. It's not like he's a smooth talker like Ted Bundy. So another kind of pro side for in Lazar's camp to prove that he is who he says he is, uh, is. George Knapp found a man called Mike Thigpen. He was a background checker for Area 51. So first, George Knapp proved that he actually was who he says he was. He's a, con a man contracted from the company he worked 
for by Area 51 to do background checks for their for the government, for their company. Um, so he he established who Mike Thigpen was and Mike Thigpen established that he remembered Lazar working for Area 51 because of his weird name, which makes a lot of sense because Bob Lazar is a strange name. And um, so, yeah, George was able to fully confirm that Lazar did work there through Mike Thigpen. Um, but Lazar actually did hint that the background check process is what led him to leave because around while the background check was going through, since they pushed him through so fast, that's when he started to realize it was time for him to go. Now, whether or not you can actually say that somebody worked for a place just because we can prove he was getting his background checked, definitely not true, but it does fit that, you know, whole profile of he worked there for about six months. That's when these videos surface. And then as he's on his way out, they say, hey, here's the dude that was looking into me. Um, So anyway, after he decided to go public, he did have some threats, break ins, um, interesting calls and harassment. So one story was that he apparently had an Uzi, which not normal. Um, (laughs) That is like an I'm I am terrified. Right. That's like I I think someone's going to come and kill me in the night. Right. So he had an Uzi in his glove box in his car. And I guess he was going to the gym um, and then went back out to his car and the car. Both doors were open. Windows were rolled down. uh, Every compartment was open. The Uzi was just sitting on his driver's uh, seat, almost like a you know, we're not going to steal from you because we don't want you to go to the authorities, but we know what you've got and we're not worried about it. Right. Oh, that's so eerie. Yeah. So, I mean, if that were true, that would definitely give you the heebie jeebies. Um, while he was driving on I-15, uh, towards Charleston, apparently somebody was trying to beat him to the exit. Um, and he just drove a little faster than this guy and the person shot the back of his car. So he did openly say this could have just been a really bad case of road rage. Yeah. Of course, like like, but if you're a paranoid guy, you would connect would, those. Yeah, I mean, right. well, yeah, Can and you the blame the guy for it. being paranoid? Right, and I wouldn't blame him for connecting it. And then um, they all, he also claims that um, the government broke into his lab to steal Element 115 from him. So we'll talk about what that is, but that they, they broke into his lab to steal that. So um, here's where we get into some of the other claims that he had. Um, but first, let's just recap that. So we got a little bit excited and went on a couple tangents. Um, <laughs> so just in case we, we need to recap it, um, he went to Caltech for his bachelor's. So graduated from high school in the lower third of his class, but claims he still went to Caltech and then went to MIT uh, for his master's. Uh, can't prove any of this. Cannot bring up his master's thesis or uh, a dissertation. Um, whenever asked about it, uh, they said, well, when did you graduate MIT? He goes, uh, probably around 82, which like, is weird. You would, would you know that? the year you graduated college. Right. So, um, he provided one professor's name in a video, so you can still find it on YouTube. And that professor never worked there. He only worked at a community college. The only education, so they didn't completely, if they wiped his education, they didn't wipe it completely. Um, because the only thing he was found to have attended was one electronics, like science class in a community college. Which I almost feel like they were like, just leave we don't one. need to wipe that. Th- that that like, one adds mm, to the story. If anything, yeah. that, helps, that, that helps solidify discredit, our yeah. story. Yeah. Right. Um, and then he eventually worked for Los Alamos, which is the part that we pretty much have proof of that. Yeah, we have proof of that, essentially um, two pieces of evidence of that. And then 
a lot of people use that to backtrack. Well, if he worked there, that means he went to school. But I personally believe that he was probably a fraud. Um, and then from Los Alamos, um, some scientists got killed working on this reactor, which we're about to talk about. So then they reached out and got him because um, he already had. And I don't think I mentioned this before. He already had um, class like cl highly classified clearance because of what he was doing in Los Alamos. So that makes him a pretty easy recruit. Um, so they bring him in. Um, since they brought him in quickly and needed him to start working quickly, uh, they uh, were doing the background check while he was working. And then while the background check was still going through, he brought some friends to go see the test site. I mean, the test flight. And then he ended up whistleblowing for fear of his life. So that brings us up to where we are now. And then he had a couple other you know, issues. So um, here's where we go into. And if anybody here has an interest in physics, this is the part that I just wanted him to say it in his own words, how these saucers flew. So he did claim that he saw one saucer not on a sketchy night with my friend's flight. This was a he was in acting in his role and they wanted him to see this thing fly. He said it was a disc about 52 feet in diameter and all it was was a low powered in the daylight flight. Um, and so they had it take off. And apparently there's human in it. So they retro retrofitted human sized controls for this thing. It took off, flew left, right, and then landed. Right. So nothing very important, but it flew silently. Um, and that's the moment he said that he realized that it wasn't technology from this earth. Right. Which, again, doesn't jive with his previous story that he had like these 122 briefings including autopsies of aliens. Right. How would this be like, what? what? When it's uh -huh. like, yeah, yeah, makes no sense. So, um, but in those briefings, he said he saw an autopsy, which again, doesn't go with the silo thing. Cause he's not a biologist. Right. But he said that he saw, right, uh, like, why would you need that? Yeah. Like a classic gray, um, alien cut with his chest open in the classic T and with like an organ removed. And then he saw the organ bisected right that just doesn't jive but anyway so in his words this is how the ufo flew what is element 115 is it found here on earth or is it strictly an extraterrestrial material 115 is strictly an extraterrestrial material uh, it probably occurs naturally in some other places maybe other star systems uh, you know, some people not familiar with science or chemistry say, well, that's ridiculous. All the elements occur on Earth, you know, uh, but that's not true. There are elements on the periodic chart that aren't found on Earth. I believe the heavy ion research lab in Darmstadt, Germany, uh, has reached element 112 recently. So 115 isn't isn't that far away. And when they synthesize it, it's not like they're making a, a couple ounces of it. They're talking about one or two atoms of it. To make any usable quantity of a heavy element like that is virtually impossible. Element 115 is in the top of the reactor. And the base of the reactor apparently is a small, something similar to a cyclotron. It's a particle accelerator. Uh, a particle is accelerated to high speed and then deflected up a small tube and it's aimed at the 115. This transmutes the 115, uh, similar to the way we, we do that in a normal particle accelerator. Uh, this causes a, a reaction, a radiation emission that we really haven't seen before. Um, it produces antimatter. This antimatter is guided down a tuned tube and reacts with a gas. 
when matter and antimatter react, they convert to 100% energy. This energy is converted, heat energy, is converted to electrical power in the reactor itself. This is done through a, a thermoelectric converter. And this electrical power is used to power other subsystems on the craft, though there is no wiring, you know, as we would know it. Uh, also, that's almost a byproduct of the reactor. The reactor also sets up a gravitational wave from the 115 being bombarded. This gravitational wave was present at the top of the reactor and is essentially guided in the same way microwaves are guided through tuned tubes. And uh, this goes to their amplifying cavities and through the projectors that are in the bottom of the craft. With the gravity generators running, is there thermal radiation danger to the crew? There is no thermal radiation while the reactor is running. The thermionic generator is 100% efficient, which is in violation of the first law of thermodynamics. But in fact, it works. Okay, so there are quite a few things in there that... Um, traditional physicists say kind of he debunks himself by speaking too much. Um, so he goes on to talk about like there's two forms of gravity. Uh, one is, you know, involving gravitons and the other one is this gravitational wave um, and stuff like that. And that that is that's not how uh, modern physics views it. Um, you know, you have quantum physics, which doesn't work as a model yet. Like they haven't been able to prove that out. Um, but that still doesn't fit what he's talking about. Then you have like regular, you know, just physics, physics, and that also doesn't fit what he's talking about. And so a lot of people say that like, this is almost his most damning piece of evidence, which is that he's essentially talking out of his ass. So, um, the other part is like he he talked about uh, amplifying gravitational waves. There's like gravitational waves have been observed. And at the time that he talked about this had not been observed. Right. So that's something that's interesting. However, they had been talked about and theorized. So it's not like he came up with it just because he saw an alien spaceship. Um, but problem is you can't amplify them like that's ra that's radio waves. That's sound and, and stuff like that. You can do that. You can't do it with gravity. And like, you never could. Um, and it doesn't fit any models. Um, another part was um, element 115. So a lot of people are like, oh, elephant element 115 does exist now. And it does. Um, and just like he said, you can't synthesize a lot of it here on Earth. Like we've only done it. I think it was less than 10 years ago. Um, so, you know, 20 years after what he claimed. Um, but that's not exactly like a revolutionary theory. He knew we were going to work our way through the periodic, like just increasing um, our periodic table, essentially. Yeah. And that was also widely theorized. So the fact that 115 doesn't work in the way that he claims it does is actually even worse for his case. So I say all that to say this. If you're on the side that totally discredits him, then this is bad, right? Because the physics just does not work out. However, if you're on the side that does work and that does believe in him, it's yeah, it doesn't work out because it's a bunch of science that we haven't figured out yet. That's right. literally what his job was to do there. Right. Try to figure it out. He didn't have enough time to figure it out. So he's spitballing based off of what he saw. Right. I fall somewhere in the middle. I think that it is. He may have seen something. Right. OK, so wait, gun to my head. I think he's full of crap. But if I were to fall somewhere really in the middle, I would think that he was in there as kind of a crackpot, saw something, couldn't explain it, couldn't do his job. So, so he made knew, up his own theory. about Right. It. And he knew that his time was going to count down. Right. So he thought he might as well get something out of this. Probably couldn't stand the thought of being quiet about it. Right. 
And uh, because people were discrediting him, he was like, well, I do know a lot of physics. So let me just start talking about it. Maybe people will believe I'm smarter than them. Right. right? But then the real community like jumped up on it. But like, so I think he may have overspoke, but that doesn't mean he had, he didn't see anything. Right. Right. So for me in like, okay, I'm setting the stage of my life here. I took one physics class in my senior year of high school and I got a solid D in that class and half of that I cheated to get that D. So coming from a girl who not only doesn't like physics, doesn't understand physics mostly, looking at a guy like Bob Lazar, who so far doesn't seem like, you know, the sharpest crayon in the box, right? Like he looked at people like me and said, I can just, I can just say what I want. I can just start using words that they're going to be like, oh, he's smart. When he I knows think, what he's talking about. And and to my theory, like, I think that's how he got into the positions he was in. Right. He talked to people who don't know what they're talking Talk about. Talk to lay when people. you start yeah. bringing up big fancy science words to people who are not big fancy scientists, we're all going to be like, whoa, dude, yeah, you got this. You know what you're talking about. Well, and remember this at the time, too. So something about um, them being in the 80s was a lot of this stuff was super theorized. And so he could say it without immediately getting also, shot there down. was not Google. Right. I mean, that would be like me talking about, oh, this is how thought works. Right. But then in 20 years from now, when we know exactly how thought works, going RJ was a crackpot. He was a crazy man. Right. right. But, well, and that's the thing. So, like I said, in the pro Lazar camp, like people are talking about anti-gravity similarly to the way he's talking about. People are talking about the 115 element, but it's the little things. Um, and that's really where it goes haywire on the grand scheme of things like he has certain things that seem like they could be real or seem correct but it's the little stuff he gets wrong that no physicist from mit should um i think that's the part that is really not good for his story but yes maybe that discredits his ability to break down what he saw not certain this dude didn't see anything no i don't think so i think too much of what he says lined up yes i mean just the fact that he knew when those Test flights, yeah, be. test flights were going to be is insane. I mean, that's enough to kind of prove whether it was someone else he knew who worked there or whether it was he found out he knew something. Yeah, he knew something he wasn't supposed well, this to isn't, or maybe was supposed and to. And I but. think the, that's the part I really want to harp on here. It's not me today knowing Area 51 was a real deal, knowing Groom Lake, seeing the satellite photos. No, this was when it was the most locked down it had ever been. Mm-hmm. And he it was knew, a myth. Yeah. And he, yeah, it was a myth. He would no one even knew pot. where it was. Yeah. And he knew where it was when these flights were happening, what was going like, he was probably employed by them. Does that mean he should have been? No, I think his credentials were crap, um, but he was probably employed by them. He probably saw something he legitimately couldn't explain. He just did his best to explain it. Well, and I just want to talk about, cause we've spent a lot of time talking about whether or not Bob Lazar was the real deal. But what I want to talk about is how, what he did coming out with that one time saying that one thing about these aliens, the, the culture he created. Oh yeah. Cause it's insane the, that this man, whether this is what he wanted or not, maybe he's a crackpot who wanted attention. Maybe he was trying to save his own skin. Maybe he said, you know, he really did believe that people needed to know about this because we deserve to know about this. You know, whatever his reasoning is, he created a world for us a world of aliens that at the time back in you know back in the 80s that wasn't 
aliens weren't that big of a thing. They weren't. And he's created a world where it's a throwaway reference at this point. Like Independence Day had so many elements of what he said in it. Right. Yeah. Like it had the desert base and had the, you know, the aliens underground. It had everything like um, Super 8. The movie was a bunch of like aliens leaving Mm -hmm. from Area 51. Like it's a throwaway reference because it gained so much popularity so quickly. I don't even know. I can't even tell you the first time I heard of Area 51. I mean, you grew up there, so that's different. But growing up in Texas, very far away. I just remember knowing what it was. Right. I don't ever remember not knowing what it was. And I don't remember how I found out, but I can tell you it wasn't from like a history it's book. It's just like it learning just, about the Simpsons. Yes, like you don't everybody know. knows what it is. Right. So um, another part uh, to this theory of whether or not he's legit was um, that George Knapp, so the reporter that got him to do all this, he is super insistent on the, on according to him, the fact that he actually convinced bob to do any of this so bob in his story got these videos and even appeared as quote-unquote dennis all just because george knapp kept pressuring him and Which, then but he also said he was trying to save his own skin so what what's so that's the true what it, story here well that's what it was so he was saying he was gathering all this stuff to save his own skin and then george knapp is the one that said you have to show your face on camera to save your own skin so he's the one that pushed him over the ledge right okay yeah i can see that also a prevailing thought for the pro Lazar camp is that he did more or less disappear for a couple decades. And unlike a lot of people, you know, that have quote unquote abductions or whatever, he never really cranked out like book after book of scientific gibberish. Like he never truly capitalized on this. He He actually said what he had to say and then walked away. And then he just opened up like a little um, company that like tries to help out the hobbyist chemist. Like um, he, you know, never really. He didn't use his fame, basically. Yeah. Now, here's the thing. So the pro Lazar camp says that. But then as a skeptic um, for everything you look through and he does an interview about like. So that's one thing they say for somebody who's a quote unquote whistleblower. He does very few interviews and it's true. He does. But he still does interviews like once every two or three years. So it's not exactly like he's ready to fade into obscurity. Um, He just participated in another documentary about him whistleblowing. So it's not like he's as averse to it as the pro Lazar campus would say. Um, but he's also truly, and this part's true. He's not doing it to the level that he could, especially with social media and stuff. Um, and he does seemingly regret how things went down. So that part's but all I true. just don't know what he expected. Well, so, and here's the thing that really, to me, tops off having an in-between theory, George Knapp, the reporter that broke all this, he, uh, got four separate polygraphs on, Bob Lazar, and this is the this is a clip from one of the polygraph testers. Uh, the second chart we ran was on another question that dealing with uh, the gravity amplifier or an antimatter reactor as part of the powertrain. Uh, about halfway through that test, I'm looking down, and all of a sudden the realization sets in that I'm looking at a probable, truthful uh, result. And I mean, I'm getting chills right now talking about it because that's what I got. On every chart that I did, the one relevant question that was the same with every test was uh, the last one. Have you deliberately lied to any question concerning uh, the UFO information you've given me? And uh, his answer of no was indicated as being truthful on the charts. So whatever he told me that night, Bob Lazar truly believes to be the truth. And that to me is everything, right? Like. Whether or not he's a crackpot, whether or not he should have had the job, 
whether or not he handled the situation correct, he believes he's telling the truth to the best of his ability. So I do think he saw something. I do think that there's something going on there. It's just he's the probable worst person to probably share that information. That's how it always is, right? Like, go watch those crazy news stories of, like, what happened here? Like, it was funny, like, the had your kids, had your wife. Right. Like, that's always the person that they find is the crazy person that well, should be discredited. It's because a fully sane, rational human being... Isn't going to do it. Wouldn't do it. Right. Exactly. So, like... Someone who works there, who sees those things every single day, will understand... And knows that they're paying off people and threatening right. people. First off, understands the danger of their own life. But also, I would think, maybe this is just my own opinion, would understand why it needs to be kept secret. Would understand why it's important that these things stay here until we have all the information. See, I don't think that. Maybe, hold on. Maybe the way they're doing it isn't exactly right. Maybe we do need to let more scientists know. But letting the general public know who involve the hide your kids, hide your wife kind of people. I don't know if I, being a part of the government and seeing all the things they see, I don't know if I would agree that they should all, we should all know that. But they go hand in hand, right? Because that's the other part that... Like to me, let's say let's just go and say it's full fact, right? They have these nine alien spaceships and and a whole bunch of evidence and stuff. Okay, if these people are clearly so much more advanced than us, like we need to get the word out there and actually like do something with that information. Um, And I don't think I mean, this was 1989 and we still have no anti-gravity technology from this. Right. So reverse engineering is not going well. Um, So I think like if that's what they're actually doing. Sure. But I think like the whole secrecy aspect of things is getting in the way of anything else. So that that I can agree with that, too. But like my whole thought is there's a chance that letting it out there could get in the way a lot bigger, a yep. lot more. And I, I think, so I think, cause I think we, you know, a lot of times, especially come from people like us, when we talk about conspiracy theories and we talk about this kind of stuff, like we talk down on the government and they're hiding a lot. And, and I, I do agree that it's not always good, but at the same time, I think none of us have ever been in that situation where you have to look at something this insane and say, is this something the rest of the world needs to know? Or is this something that need, they need to be shielded from for as long as possible? Right. So I think the thing is, at the end of the day, this is one, a really fun topic. I'm really glad that we did it. Thank you guys for voting on it. Um, But two, I think it's the perfect example of the way that we like to think about things on this show. It's, you know, we're, we're not on either side fully. And I think this is a perfect example that I really do honestly believe this dude saw something. I thought he was in a position to see something and he even got some proof for it. So, like I said, we'll put links to it Um, at the same time. Like, I'm not a Bob Lazar truth or like, I just don't think the dude knew what he, I mean, most of what he's seeing. And I do think he lied. And I do think he embellished like the whole 120, 122 briefing papers and autopsy. It makes no sense. It doesn't line up with the rest of his story. Um, it doesn't line up with a lot of stuff, but there was just so much that he knew that wasn't public information at the time that we can now confirm that. I just, I can't explain it. Well, and I think for me, Kind of being, I don't know, I think I'm going to think this way in a lot of these kind of situations, but whether we want to talk about Bob Lazar, whether we want to talk about the aliens, whatever, in the end, something is going on in Area 51 and it's a big deal. And there's more than one Area 51, most likely, and there's all kinds of stuff going on that we know nothing about that is probably really crazy and really cool. And whether that's aliens or whether that's crazy spy ships or whether that's insane technology that we just haven't gotten our hands on yet. Either way, it's cool and it's secretive and we all want to know. I think, yeah, and I, I just I think it's going on. I I do think even if they don't have the physical stuff, 
in regards to aliens, I just I think the government has to know so much more than they're letting on. Um, and that to me is really cool. So, again, if you guys uh, want to contribute to the conversation, please do. We'll be posting all week about this episode. Normally, we wait a week to drop spoiler stuff. But I think since it's a special, um, we'll be all week. We'll be dropping you know, articles and photos and stuff and trying to get you guys to listen to this one. So, um, again, follow us on Twitter or Facebook, leave a review, a like anything you want, just get involved in the conversation. Um, also want to shout out to the, like what, 250 new followers we've had recently. So, um, yeah, appreciate you guys and thanks for everything. Thanks. Bye. La, la, la.